telling stories from the EGA Clubhouse. Hello and welcome to EGA's podcast guide. We are now telling stories from the Clubhouse and we have the pleasure to welcome Tom McAndrew, who is Senior Technical Manager for Content Relation at Dolby. I'm uh, your host, Jacques Barrault. I'm VP of Media and Interactive Entertainment at Transperfect. And we are going to talk about the mystery behind Dolby. Um, I think <laughs> the mystery. What, <laughs> the mystery. It's, a, right, you know, it's, it's mysterious for a lot of people, you know. Um, so um, I think this series was titled From Fiat Recall to Home System. So before we start, could you tell us very briefly a quick historical recap of your company? Uh, oh my Red goodness. <laughs> Red Dolby started it. Everybody knows that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Back in 1960s, and Ray's original mission, you know, 50 odd years ago, was just make uh, recorded music sound better. And so the first Dolby technology was noise reduction, um, and that uh, began to be used in the cinema with uh, the very first uh, uh, um, film in Dolby, which was A Clockwork Orange. Um, and then, after making things sound better, we decided to you know increase the technology that uh, Dolby could bring to the party. And that's when uh, Dolby Stereo came out with the first movie in 1977, A Star is Born, followed shortly afterwards by another little star movie, Star Wars, you may have heard of it. Um, I think everybody remembers Star Wars. Right. Like <laughs> the, the big shock in the sound, because in fact, it, it was when people realized, and, and George Lucas understood that better than anybody, that um, um, using this technology makes the sound as important as the picture, in fact. Right. And, and in fact, our mission statement is we advance the technology of sight and sound to enable spectacular experiences. And, you know, without great storytelling, great technology is nothing. But, you know, we really feel that our technology can absolutely be used to enhance great storytelling. And that's that's the mission that we all really take to heart. Um, but getting back to the timeline. So after Star Wars and Dolby Surround in theaters, um, then we got into broadcast with Dolby Digital in like the early 1990s. And then of course, digital 5.1, 7.1, typically technologies came out in the cinema and then they came home. And so, you know, currently what I've been working on my entire Dolby career, almost 10 years now, is Dolby Atmos, which is an immersive object-based audio format that first came out in 2012 uh, in theaters with Pixar's Brave. And once again, uh, a few years later, it came home, first on Blu-ray, then on streaming services, now there's Dolby Atmos for music and uh, a brand new initiative that I'm working on, also Dolby Atmos for podcasting. So, you know, it's a, it's a really, really exciting time as we're moving through all these different types of content that can benefit from Dolby technology. So for the Dolby Atmos in, in a podcast, you have the voice of the speaker going above your head or something like that? <laughs> Flying overhead. He's on a helicopter. <laughs> No, uh, you know, immersive um, narrative fiction podcasts are kind of where we started with some uh, podcasters. And, you know, it's really effective. You know, it's like old tiny radio dramas where you actually have a musical score and sound effects and, yeah. you know, the footsteps of people walking around the room. And that type of storytelling um, can absolutely benefit from immersive technology, whether it's kind of a first person narrative where like the listener is the protagonist and everything's happening all around them 
or they're listening to like a presentation on a stage where everything is kind of laid out in front of them. So there's lots of creative possibilities with uh, Dolby Atmos podcasting. Um, right. Another thing I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, continue. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, we're also starting to talk to uh, true crime podcasters and um, um, documentary and nature content. There, there's a lot of really exciting stuff happening right now. And uh, so to, to, yes, to understand a little bit better, I think for our uh, uh, auditors, it would be interesting to understand really the concept of Atmos because it's a little bit, uh, like I said, it's a little bit of a mystery. So, you know, if we go back to the stereo, you have stereo and after you have surround. So the surround sound was putting a, a speaker in the middle. So you have mm -hmm. left, center, right, and, 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 uh, and, and a big surround, which um, was mixing everything. After that, you had the, the Dolby surround where the surround were separated. But we also, we always think in channels. So exactly. at, at the beginning, you still have right, left, and you put everything, you put what you want in the middle and uh, or in the surround. So what is the main difference between thinking in channels and thinking in objects like it is now for... Uh, yeah, and that gets to fundamentally why Dolby Atmos is, you know, channel-based audio sounds always come out the same speaker channel in every environment, even though every environment's different. With uh, object-based audio, <clears throat> pardon me, um, sound, you know, individual pieces of sound we refer to as audio objects, and they're mixed with positional metadata, X, Y, and Z coordinates in space. And yeah. the positional metadata for each object travels with the mix all the way to the consumer playback environment because every room is different in terms of number of speakers, location of speakers, um, you know, environments like Dolby Atmos in cars or you know, sound bars, home theater systems. Every decoder is different, but the decoder in each individual environment knows how many speakers it has and where they are. So audio objects don't always come out the same speaker channel. They always come out the correct point in space, which in one room might be one speaker, another room might be a different speaker or a combination of speakers. That's kind of the magic is that we preserve the creative intent. And so you are talking about the, the home video system or the theatrical system in this case? Uh, both actually. Uh, theatrical system has more granularity in terms of all the different speaker locations you can address. But home systems, yeah, the, the core technology is still really robust and can direct the different sounds to the different points in space based on, you know, the individual environment where it's, whether it's a home theater system, kind of like the one you see behind me or, you know, a $300 soundbar. Um, there's Dolby Atmos capable systems at all kinds of mainstream price points. So, so can we can we try to to understand, you know, I, I you know I was working at Warner for twenty years and I and I mixed a lot of movies. I did all the Harry Potter and the Batman and all these things, and it was great mixing in in this beautiful room that we had in in Los Angeles. Uh, now it was always channel thinking, you know, right? And and so now, uh, and I remember at this time the main question was. Is, is it going to be transparent? Is, is the mix we are doing in the mixing room, is, going, is it going to be okay in a home video system? And that was really the big question. Uh, now, and this has never been solved because we know that when you go and listen to a movie in a theatrical, it's not like you listen in your home. So right. now, how do you think in terms of uh, object and... Uh, and um, how do you make sure that 
your soundbar or your system is going to try to 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 make you enjoy the movie not like a theatrical but you know sim similar yeah, appropriate for the home environment right correct it's it's um you know every theatrical mix when it goes to home does benefit from a near field mix tweak um not because it's atmos but because it's theatrical versus home you know you you still have to do mix tweaks for most channel based theatrical mixes um and the kinds of things you're doing are constraining the dynamic range you know in a movie theater loud can be very loud and quiet can be very quiet because you don't have sound intrusion from your neighbor's dog or somebody's mowing their lawn outside or your kids are playing in the next room so home entertainment content is generally a little bit more dynamic range constrained And then also some of the uh, panning, things that are panned around on screen. In movie theater, the speakers are behind the screen, but at home, the left and right speaker are outside the screen typically. Yes. So you're so those are the kind of mix tweaks you have to do to theatrical mix to make sure it sounds good at home. So you're not doing doing it because it's Atmos. You're doing it because it's for home, and you do the same type of thing if it was a channel-based mix. So uh, that's very interesting. So. Um... If somebody wants to install an Atmos system at home, uh, what are the options? Uh, a uh, an Atmos uh, mixing system or a yeah, consumer entertainment system? No, an Atmos style? listening system. Let's start oh, okay. with the listening system. Sure. Well, kind of, you know, the, the mainstream optimal listening system is uh, the same as our recommended uh, near-field Atmos uh, mixing system. We, we uh, say 7.1.4, which refers to seven ear level speakers, left, center, right, a pair of sides and a pair of rears, and then four overhead speakers, uh, basically in a box around the mixing position. Now we know most consumers at home uh, aren't going to have that type of thing or they won't physically be able to put speakers up in the ceiling. Of course. And so we have companion technology, Dolby enabled speakers that fire up and bounce off the ceiling and down to the listening position, which creates the impression of speakers overhead. And that's actually what I have behind me, my surround speakers, Our bookshelves with a standalone upfiring module for my let's see that's my right surround uh, overhead speaker, and then my uh, front uh, towers um, actually have front firing and upfiring drivers. Um, so so my system I don't have seven one four I have five one four but you know with an object based audio system, again the decode scales to whatever your listening environment is. And again I have the you know the traditional single guy you know, kick butt home theater system. But, um, you know, a lot of people have, um, again, like when you walk into a big box store like Costco here in the US, almost literally the very first thing you see is a $300 soundbar that is enabled with Dolby Atmos. And for people in that price point, it's still a great experience. And so in this bar, I guess you have speakers that are uh, inclined with different angles, correct? Yeah, there might be upfiring drivers right in the soundbar in addition to front firing. And um, the, the particular model I'm thinking of is wireless to the subwoofer, which has to be in the back of the room. And then the subwoofer is wired to satellite surround speakers. So, oh. you know, there are different technology solutions at every price point. That's just kind of one example of a, of a budget style system. Yeah, the funny thing, and, and we, touched, uh, we touched on that last time when we, when we had a little talk, you and me, it, it's that you are using the reflection to your advantage And, uh, and, you know, and I'm, I'm using a, a recording, a cloud recording platform at Transperfect. And, uh, and we are uh, really uh, explaining to the, to the actors that want to record at home to kill all the reflections possible. <laughs> right. 
So because for us, the reflection is an enemy, you know, you don't want to have reverb, echo, but you are using it to your advantage. Um, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's actually a, yeah, a core part of the technology. And in fact, when people try to bring, say, an atmosphere soundbar into like a mixed room that has treated walls and ceilings, I walk in and go, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> but, you know, most yeah. typical consumer environments, you have plaster or drywall, you know, a nice hard surface that you yeah. can get to bounce off the system. Um, but also I wanted to mention that you don't even necessarily need a sound system at all to experience Atmos. Um, one stat I just learned was that um, in Western Europe alone, over uh, 450 models of televisions have Dolby Atmos built right into the TV. So a lot of consumers are purchasing a television or a soundbar or a smart speaker that has Dolby Atmos and they don't even realize it has the feature. It's just that the feature has become that mainstream. And you know that's why we're really excited about sending Dolby Atmos you know, with as many types of entertainment content as possible. But obviously, if a movie or a program has not been encoded in Atmos, it doesn't matter if you have the Atmos system, it won't be decoded, correct? Correct. Um, you know, those systems typically will have an up mixer. They'll take like a 5.1 mix and kind of spatialize it if the consumer enables that feature. Um, but no, something that's not mixed in Atmos obviously isn't going to natively present in Atmos. But, you know, streaming services all around the world, you know, Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO Max and Paramount Plus and uh, so many others have thousands of hours of Dolby Atmos content between features and streaming originals. Uh, and of course, Atmos Music on Apple Music and Tidal and Amazon Music HD. So there is a lot of Atmos out there. It's an exciting time. That, that's great. So the, the little, uh, we talked last time about uh, the example you gave me of Jurassic Park. That was very funny. <laughs> and I had right. another one regarding Pokemon. So explain to our viewers what happened where something is encoded and badly recorded for, for TV. Yeah, and um, you know this is a, a classic example that goes back decades, and it's just one of those things that people didn't realize because the technology for delivering home entertainment was new at the time. But the five point one mix of Jurassic Park was mixed with you know the the T Rex's giant footsteps yep. being entirely in the LFE channel, the the subwoofer channel. Yep. Um, but in a stereo down mix, when you down mix from stereo to or excuse me from five point one to stereo typically that LFE channel is just completely discarded. So what we had, um, I think in early pressings of the DVD, I believe it was, it was a very dainty T-Rex who uh, walked through the forest very silently. And uh, <laughs> does, but you know, you don't realize that in the professional mix environment. Of course. Um, and, that, and that's why it's so important um, when you're doing a mix to listen to every permutation, just do spot checks of, um, and in fact, Dolby Atmos Render has a, a click-through menu that lets you go, how does the native Atmos sound? How does the 5.1 re-render sound? How does the stereo yes. sound? So and, while you're mixing. And this is done automatically, or is it processed mm -hmm. automatically, or you have to redo it? I mean, you could redo it manually, but it takes a lot of time. Yeah, it's automatically re-rendered. And in fact, once you have a Dolby Atmos master file, you can press a button or you go to launch, and it will automatically export from your Atmos master file a 7.1, a 5.1, a stereo, a binaural perhaps, uh, stems, M&Es. If you've configured the Dolby Atmos renderer properly, you can extract just about any sub-deliverable you need from that Atmos mix. Yes, uh, it happened It happened to me approximately the same thing like uh, years ago when we were uh, mixing the, the Pokemon movies. I did a bunch of Pokemon movies at Warner. Warner was distributing that. And I don't remember which one. I think it's the second or the third one. 
you had a villain called Mewtwo, and his voice, the voice was completely in the surround and yeah. in stereo. So obviously a big reverb, which makes the, um, the sound in opposition of phase between left Phasey, and right. right. And when you downfall to mono, obviously the left and right, because they are in opposition of phase, disappear. And the voice was, the voice just disappeared. Yeah, <laughs> so, oh gosh. <laughs> uh, so we had to redo a, a, quick, uh, a quick mix for, uh, for home video and, right. uh, and put back the voice. Uh, you know, it's uh, always uh, this kind of experience that are pretty funny. Um, I have a quick question about regulation. I, I remember that when I was mixing trailers, uh, unlike the movie, the trailers were uh, limited in uh, SPL, you know, in, uh, in, in, in volume and, and, and sound. Do right. you have any kind of regulation like that in, uh, in Atmos? Um, Dolby doesn't have regulation per se, but um, different studios and streamers, most of them do have their own very specific specs about where overall volume ought to be, uh, what true peaks ought to be, what exactly. um, average dialogue levels ought to be. And again, the Atmos renderer has a, a real-time loudness measurement tool that's active at all times, and you can see exactly where you're mixing and make sure that you are mixing to the target of uh, whoever you're delivering to. That's, uh, that's really amazing. Um, so um, what can we say about the philosophy of the surround sound to finish with a, with, with a, with a nice story? You told me last time um, it's all about uh, something being immersive, being something uh, being uh, versus something being distractive. So right. can, you, can you just uh, develop a little bit uh, on that? Because the yeah. sound is, is super important now. When it's, you know, it's funny. What's old is new again. Because when 5.1 was brand new, a lot of people at first were like, ah, oh, I don't want to put stuff in the back. It's going to be distracting. Um, and then creatives realized, no, there's a way to treat those surround channels where you're truly immersing the listener in the story and you're bringing them into it by putting them into the middle of it. Well, now we have a new dimension, that Z-axis, everything above you. And, you know, once again, people are going, ah, I don't know, that could be distracting. And it's like, no, remember 5.1? You didn't like it at first. And then it's like, oh, no, this is a great creative tool if it's used tastefully. And Dolby Atmos is the same thing. So, you know, if you use it tastefully, um, although there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, helicopters and rainstorms. I think every movie ought to have helicopters and rainstorms. But absolutely, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, becoming, that's becoming a standard now. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and so to, to, to finish, uh, it, people that don't have a system at home that are just listening to their uh, Wi-Fi, their uh, uh, hi-fi uh, recording stereo, uh, it's not too late for them to upgrade. We talked last time about the China when uh, I, I was telling you when I visited China early 2000, I saw theaters with one big speaker behind the screen and they went from mono to 5.1 in one shot. So right. that's the advantage of starting very low. So people that have only two systems, uh, two speakers at home can very well upgrade and, and start listening at most. Sure. Um, my very first Dolby Atmos system was was piecemeal. I had uh, my existing stereo speakers, then I added a center speaker, and then I added some surrounds. And then um, originally, I just had a 5.1.2 Atmos system. That was my first Atmos system. I got two uh, wedges like you see on my surrounds, and sure. those sat on top of my front speakers. 
Um, and then I got a new system and okay, now it's 5.1.4. So I told my stereo receiver, Hey, there's two more speakers and, um, <laughs> yeah, you, you can do it all at once or add to it piecemeal if you already have speakers or, you know, components that you like. That's very interesting. And I guess you clean uh, your ceiling very regularly to make sure you have the good reflection. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got to get all the cobwebs off of there. <laughs> So, Tom, uh, thank you very much. I think we, we are at the end of this, uh, this little podcast. I hope everybody enjoys the discussion. Uh, again, thank you very much for your advice, for the stories, and we'll see you uh, in the next podcast, I hope. All right. Thank you. This was fun. Appreciate it, Josh. Thank you. Bye-bye, Tom. All right. Cheers. Join us next time when we share more stories about elevating the art and science of global storytelling.